So now on the Innovation Show, it's a great honor to welcome Philip Matthews, High Performance Growth and Leadership Coach. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thanks, Ed. We'd love to talk about the work you've done, your own career, both as a British and Irish Lions captain, moving then into CEO and Managing Director, and but now coming to being a leadership and high growth performance coach. It'd be great to hear the story. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess it goes back to leaving college, Aidan, and um, with a PhD in zoology, and then just getting my first job as a, a sales rep in a pharmaceutical company, jumping into a car with a map, and off, off I go. And I think every three or four years, five years, has been a regular cycle of change and doing something you know, quite radically different. And I suppose what I've learned over that period of time is that my own view of myself in terms of my competency, what I'm good at, is not so much around I'm a good salesperson, I'm a good HR director, a good CEO. I'm, I'm just somebody who is adaptable, curious, wants to learn, embrace new challenges, and because I find them stimulating, thought-provoking, and, and keep learning all the time. A new challenge for me has to be about learning. I finished a, a role there six months ago as a CEO, and I, I've turned down other CEO opportunities because I, I've been there, done that, and I want to do something that's different and making a real impact in a personal level. I, I can do that at, at a CEO in terms of some of the role, certainly, but I want, but making a real impact and learning how I can do that is, uh, is the way I want to spend the last chapter of my career. If you're innovating, you want a CEO that is not going to challenge you oh, around the uh, the most recent failure and say, why did you fail? You want a leader saying, well, what did you learn? Uh, and you want the organization to be saying, you know, what did we learn today? When you look at parenting, that gift that you can give a child at such a young age to go and go, you know what, I know you've made that mistake, but what what did you learn or made that same mistake again? And there's, there's a certain innate one where it's the hot cooker effect where they touch it and they know, okay, I got burnt. But there's the other thing where you're not constantly giving out to somebody and being on their back because... If you actually formulate that, you can totally change how they think about failure. You reframe it. Absolutely. And by praising kids for success and failure, by praising intelligence and you know, praising athletic ability, praising finite things like you're very smart or you did that really quickly or you know, you're really intelligent or you're very good at drawing, as opposed to Gosh, you put so much more effort, so much effort into that. You tried really hard, and you didn't, you, you you know, you didn't falter when it became difficult. I'm really proud of what you must have learned there. It can have a profound effect because kids, when they hear praise from a parent, which they're constantly looking for, when they hear praise from a parent for success or a good score in an exam, a finite thing, they then begin to feel that okay. If I'm, I did well in that exam, so I better do well in all my exams. Or therein lies anxiety around their talent, their fixed talent, as opposed to a parent that recognizes the learning and praises the child for the learning. And learning is fun. Well, that, that's a completely different perspective, and and it has profound implications for the way young kids grow and develop and learn, as opposed to in a fixed mindset, how young kids then become anxious about repeating that success again. And I think therein you can see how a mindset is nurtured and therefore how an organizational culture needs to 
respond and encourage learning in the face of failure. And that's not to say it's not challenging, but it's the language has got to be around what did we learn today? What did we learn from that? And praising the effort, um, knowing that success will come out of that. People might wonder, you know, what's the link between innovation and leadership, but they're mm. the exact same thing. Innovation is leadership because that piece you talked about, a trialed experiments or, or planned experiments or planned failures, we're going to fail with this. But mm. as long as we learn, then we can improve the second time around. And, and that's what innovation is. And, you know, Edison talks about, I haven't failed. I've found 10,000 ways that doesn't work. And it's that bringing that into business. But, but the problem, Philip, certainly I've seen, and I'd love to know your, get your knowledge on this, is how, does, how do you get that mindset beyond the IT department or beyond the digital department who, who have always worked this way or have always tried mm. to work this way into the DNA of a company? Mm. You know, how do you build that in? And I know your work with CEOs, you, you get that in at that stage, but how does it trickle down and back upwards throughout an organization? As with many, most things that are this important, there's no one simple solution. The beauty of a startup and the opportunity of a startup is that you can actually hire for people that are of a learning and a growth mindset. A, a number of organizations have, have started to do that. A number of uh, researchers have identified both psychometrics and competency-based interviews that will uncover somebody of a, a growth mindset. And a lot of other research is also showing that people who are hired for a growth mindset with the technical skills, as opposed to purely on past experience and technical skills, those people with a growth mindset will outperform those people with just purely the, the, the technical skills. And that, so that, so you can do that in a startup. But as with anything, it starts from the top. I think the CEO has to fundamentally believe in this uh, and insist that all parts of um, the culture, the daily communication dynamics, the team culture, the way people are kind of managed, mentored, and coached, uh, is all using the language and the the perspective of a of a of a growth mindset. And that is around what did we learn? And that's not tolerating repeating the same mistake all the time, but it's really making sure that the learning has been taken on board and it's been shared. Um, making sure that even successes are learned from because an awful lot of organizations will will see success and then move past and not really debrief it. Successes and failures need to be debriefed and and information shared. But I I firmly believe that a a passionate CEO at the the very top who who really gets it and whose every interaction effuses and role models growth and learning and is comfortable to admit when they're learning as well. It goes right the way to that. that. That CEO is totally transparent and is comfortable to show that they're learning and they're not always getting it, getting it right. That That's the way to do it. It's interesting you, you mentioned that, Philip, and you mentioned neuroplasticity. We had Professor Susan Greenfield on the show last, last week who's a celebrated brain scientist, and she was talking about this, even in science, that people are measured on on the success of their experiments, etc. So therefore, they choose easy experiments. But the problem with all that is, like you've you've talked about in your talks before, is you're not stretching yourself. And no. a, you don't learn anything that way. But b, actually, you don't stretch your neural pathways in your no. brain no. enough, so you can't create new neural pathways which are connections within your brain. So there's there's no growth there. And no. 
You mentioned about hiring for the growth mindset. What characteristics are you looking for from those people? You're looking for people who have um, who are very open uh, about their mistakes. You know, I, I think that the value of somebody who has made mistakes uh, can't be can't be overestimated because um, we were talking a little bit before we came on air, Aiden, about you know about our own kind of lives, and and I was telling you that I value people who have really come through and had to work really hard at stuff because they can actually impart knowledge of that process to other people versus people who have a natural innate talent. Um, because what can they impart? Because they're not really sure what that talent is because it's natural. They know they can do things, but but they, they're not really aware of, of, of how they've had to learn that. So therefore, for me, the people who have actually had to learn things, had to change, uh, they are the valuable people. And those people that are also also had to do it, but are also very open and very comfortable admitting it. Um, I, there's a that self-effacing uh, show of humility of uh, is is hugely important and valuable in a leader to establish a culture. But it's it's so valuable in in all of your your people as well. Admitting and not being defensive about your mistakes, but admitting them and then being able to say, and that's what I learned from this. That is what this is all about, um, because if people are learning, then the org- if everybody in the organization is learning, then the, the, the organization itself can't but progress. And assume you've got a good business model, then success as well. But if everybody is learning, that's surely got to that's surely got to lift an organization. And, and you mentioned that openness as well, because obviously what comes with that openness is a lack of politics and all those kind of old world yeah. me- me- mechanics Absolutely. that existed in companies because nobody's hiding anything because nobody's afraid right. of failure. That's right. And the lengths that some people will go to it in a fixed mindset culture and an individual has huge implications for business ethics and corporate governance because, again, going back to Dweck's research, she, she has shown that people with a fixed mindset can actually do go the ultimate and inflict their achievements or misrepresent some of their achievements because of that fear of being judged and admitting to what they see as a failure. Uh, so it has huge implications. And I think it's becoming more and more now of a, in, in some respects, a survival skill for the 21st century. But it's an, I think, to be honest, I can't see fixed mindset culture companies succeeding in a in a commercial, competitive, globalized world, I think only growth mindset companies are going to be able to survive unless they're monopolistic and, and heavily protected. Yeah, and if the, and, uh, regulation and patents itself yeah. have protected them. But it, it's interesting you say about this idea of talent being almost a curse. And, and Dweck talks about this in her work where some kid you know, might get picked for the team uh, all of a sudden, his dad or his his peers start showing interest in him, and it, then then he starts thinking, "Okay, well, this is great. I I'm actually somebody now." And then they get injured or they lose that place in the in the team, and people start not showing so much interest in him. And it, it it frames their reference to go, "You're only worth something if you've achieved something." And it, and what's been your own experience of this? Because obviously, you set yourself amazing goals, and you you achieved by being captain of the British and Irish Lions. The really interesting thing, and, and I'd love you to share, Philip, if you would, with our audience, is is the way you actually set markers in the future and you dare to dream. I suppose my history wouldn't have been, I would, 
wouldn't have been particularly strong academically. So therefore, uh, rugby um, and sport gave me an opportunity where I felt good about myself. And uh, the moment a coach, I can remember it clearly to this day, sitting in a a wet changing room and the coach, I was 13 years old and, and to my amazement, the coach name checked me and said, you know, Phillips, the key player in the team. From that moment on, I started to see things a little bit differently. I read, I suppose, the first rugby autobiography, that was Willie John McBride's autobiography. And he was talking about, you know, this Balamina farmer um, who led the Lions in South Africa. And I thought, well, if he can do that from Balamina, then, then I can do that. And that that goal was was set for me from then. Um, and I suppose I never, from that moment, I probably never really doubted that I couldn't do it. And, and the coach himself said, and when I was leaving the school, leaving high school, he said, um, Philip will play for the Lions. And that kind of, uh, he said this in an open presentation as we were, as we were, as we were leaving the school. And I, again, I was, at that stage, I wasn't, it was nice that he said it, but I kind of, I, I kind of reckon I would myself, I suppose. I wasn't being arrogant, um, but I think at that stage it was two things. One, I felt I had the talent, and two, I was going to work. I was going to do whatever it took. Yeah, I was going to do whatever it took, and probably more. It's interesting, Philip, because it's something that people, you know, I write and I do the show, and people kind of go, where do you get the time? But mm. I kind of go, well, it's cool. about sacrificing or replacement if you sit down and you watch the Kardashians or some trash TV in the evening. Yeah. That's your opportunity. That's, that's the data you're actually feeding your mind. And Absolutely. you will synthesize that. No matter what you want, if you want to or not, you will synthesize that into your life some way. And it, if you change the data that's going in like you did there, so you, you started feeding your mind with, with Willie John McBride autobiography. What, what age were you at that stage? Uh, would have been... 13 yeah that's incredible like i i just find it's incredible to be planting those seeds with that data at that age and then having the reinforcement of a mentor to actually Mm. go and believe in you but you planted the original seed and i think you know and i know you've discovered carl dweck's work like we all have in the last few years since the book has been released but you initially had that growth mindset whether you had a framework around it or not and Mm. you, you built a career on it because you talked as well about those skills that you pick up being transferable, you've picked those skills up and transferred them into huge success across your whole career. As we were again talking earlier, it's not talking early on before we came on, it's not come easily. I think it. what I do find, and I was speaking to there's a, another sports coach and performance coach, a guy called Enda McNulty, uh, over, and um, we were talking about um, that period, and you'll identify this with this, Aiden, that period in training, when it starts to hurt and you know i think people who are driven and focused actually enjoy that hurt because they know that the guys that don't enjoy that and slow down are the guys that you're moving ahead of and it's in that zone in that zone where it hurts that you're becoming stronger and i've kind of thought about that quite a lot in terms of business as well because i've been through you know, really challenging stuff in business, but it's only in those challenging times that you really grow um, and that you increase your capacity to hold challenging stuff. And I've learned so much from that. And I do so much differently because I've made so many mistakes 
um, along the way. But those those mistakes are the bigger the mistake, the the more the more the learning is. You never forget. You never forget those learnings when it's been at its toughest, and and that's like the training thing. Um, when you're in that pain zone. I, I used to love that pain zone and it used to almost, I want to hit the zone and say, I'm going to push harder now because I just love being in this this particular part of it. I don't like the preamble getting up to, you know, where it, where it gets hurt, but I want to get to the hurt bit quicker because that's when that's when you get stronger. So I think that's, I think that's something I, I see a, a parallel with in, in any form of intense learning. I, outside your comfort zone, this is tough. Because you're asking yourself and your brain to do or to think in a very different way, and there and the brain is having to reconfigure and it's having to grow new pathways, and that's that's difficult. Um, and after a while, it it becomes a hell of a lot easier. But you're never going to get there if you stay within that comfort zone. Before the show, we were talking about this as well about the journey is the growth. Yeah, but you have to continually change it up and mix it up and. You know, when you're doing training, you will yeah. you will automatically plateau. You will get to that plateau, and you need to sure. then push yourself harder or change the exercises or mix it up and add in extra weight or whatever it should be. And Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about that as well. And it's it's interesting because I thought of your career and how you succeeded as an athlete and, and a, a leader in the rugby field, but also had set yourself those goals. But then you you transfer them to the business world, and yes, you were continuously learning. But also, people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, people laughed at him when he said he was going to become uh, an actor at the end of his career. People laughed at him literally. Again, when he was when he was saying, "I'm going to be I'm going to be governor of L.A.," people laughed at him. But it, if you take that framework of the mindset, and you've done this as well, where, and I'd say unbeknownst to yourself, obviously, that you just went and go, "Okay, well, I'm going to." I'm going to take the ingredients I have and I'm going to apply them to a different trade. Yeah, I mean, I, I, ooh, the transition, it wasn't, it, I didn't find that particularly difficult, I have to say. Um, I wonder, was that because it was a different era? And Because just to remind our audience, in the, at the time yeah. you played, you were working as well. Yeah, I think, I think always working and then while I was playing rugby and then always changing as well and finding myself in situations where I've got a, I've got a, somebody has believed enough in me to offer me this opportunity. I, I don't know a huge amount about this, um, but I'll, I'll just go and find it out. I'll learn it. I'll figure it out. And, um, and I'm driven by a kind of a, a curiosity around yes that really sounds interesting that sounds challenging as well for me it's a bit like a moth to the flame if it's something challenging it might not be good for me but i'll find it difficult to walk away from it it's a it's a draw it's a, an attraction towards challenge and learning because they both come together and and i know um confident and, and a fortunate position that if I've been there, done that, I don't want to go back to that anymore because we were talking a bit about training and, you know, um, once your body and your muscles become used to a particular weight session, you need to change it up because they, they plateau. Well, it's the same with the brain as well. 
when you're going through those intense periods of learning, you know, your prefrontal cortex is actually thickening. It's adding new neural connections and it's growing. Uh, but once that skill or that new thing is learned and, and instinctive, well, then it shrinks back down again. So therefore, you need to keep, if you're going to keep developing, as, 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 I, as I firmly believe we all should in terms of our, our knowledge, our intelligence or whatever way you want to define that, we need to keep putting, we need to keep learning, we need to keep challenging our our bodies, our hearts, our brains. Um, it's uh, it's the healthy way to be. And then our brains become better at learning um, and less fixed. And, and I think that as well as physical fitness, having a fit brain, a learning brain, a, bit, a brain that is fit for learning, uh, will only be fit for learning if it's regularly challenged and exercised. Yeah, and, and one of the things you talked about as well as with the skill set of a growth mindset person is positivity. Mm. But it, again, you know, if you read a lot of books about either mindfulness or positivity, that you can rewire your mind to see the positive and see the yes. good in everything. Absolutely. You can, and funny enough, I, I've come to mindfulness quite late. I'm not sure what it would have done had I been a, a mindfulness rugby player, but it helps me to be present. And it's certainly the habit of practicing it is now if I even if I practice it a couple of times a day during the day I I'm much more able to focus on the present without having a busy mind I'm, I've got a busy mind so I'd be thinking about the future all of the time what I've got to do next blah, blah, blah. and and sometimes that can distract me from the present and that's not a good thing for me so all of this is around keeping your your mind in a fit and healthy state so that you can be the best you can be and uh, the best version of yourself and, and to keep your brain fit and healthy. I thought about this and I was kind of going with my own rugby career that I never stopped to smell the roses and go, wow, I've achieved so much. I've talked to, to many leading rugby players like yourself and everybody was the same. And then I thought, but is that part of it? Is this, is this never ending or an insatiable desire to go go again and go further and what can i do next but it's it, in a way it's a shame that you don't stop to smell yeah. the roses every so often i 100 agree with you there and i think that there is a i think there is a balance to be struck there because sometimes that anxiety around keeping your place and keeping where on the team drives you to do things that other people aren't prepared to do so you can almost look at that paranoia in its extreme you can almost look at that, that paranoia as a, a positive driving force, but paranoia is not a positive driving force, and there's there's a better place to be, and I think a more enlightened place to be, and that is one of self-efficacy, uh, confidence. It's not complacency. Uh, enjoying the present, enjoying the moment, as you said, and and suspending anxiety around the future for the future, which is which is where it should be. It it shouldn't be in the present and knowing the work that you're doing is going to keep you there. So I, I, I failed to reach that in my rugby career. I noticed um, our probably most recently retired famous rugby player, Paul O'Connell, uh, in his book, he talks a little bit about this as well. Um, and that kind of anxious driving force, um, he, he does attribute to actually having driven him to where he got and keeping him there to try harder, to train harder, all of that. So it's a quite a big thing for people to drop, and I haven't I haven't spoken to too many sports people yet, uh, but maybe this will emerge 
um, who have got that balance absolutely 100% right. Yeah. But I know it exists. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned Sir Paul O'Connell because a lot of people assume rugby players will be fine when they finish. And a lot of the more naturally talented ones, going back to a point you made earlier, aren't because they haven't learned the habits or, or practiced their growth mindset throughout their rugby career, which can be applied to anything if you have it. They haven't yeah. actually had to use it because they were so talented. And this is, goes back to what Carol Dweck talks about, the curse of the talented uh, person, you know, whether she's, she's a great athlete or tennis player or it's a great rugby player, no matter what, it can be a curse afterwards because one thing is they might feel, what if there's a regret there that what if I did train and what, what, I, what it could have been, but B, you know, that they then struggle in the real world because the real world demands a whole, a whole new type of, of skill sets. But if you have the growth mindset, that is the skill set. That's right. That's right. That kind of, that openness to learning that's, that have, you know, you're adored as a, as being brilliant at, at rugby. And then when it comes to the life, a professional career outside rugby, a work career, then you have to, in some respects, go back to the, go back to scratch and, and admit that you don't know anything about this necessarily. Uh, you may not even know what you you do know that is relevant and not wanting to admit to that can be quite challenging. And I think that that's where having somebody with, they'll very often have mentors and coaches, they'll have coaches in rugby, but having somebody as a mentor who can help you and steer you and guide you into that transition and give you, give you elements of that growth mindset perspective so that you can actually understand that it's it is opportunity and that to be honest nobody's expecting you to know everything and if you if you want to hide that well then guess what you're never going to be able to hide it and your openness to learning and developing yourself in your rugby career that that same openness and working on things because these days there's nobody making it in professional sports who's just making it on talent alone they have to work at it yeah, it's uh, a welcome uh, change to the, to the... Oh, it's fantastic. Philip, a cu couple of last questions for you. One thing that, that I have to say I see a lot of is with younger workers, I suppose they've had it easier, uh, certain demographics have had it easier than ever before in the world. And there's, well, there's this sense of entitlement there. And, you know, it's almost like they've been deprived the opportunity to, to learn. And as a leader... How like so? You've been coaching CEOs and leaders. If they've inherited these people and they are not going out and going looking for growth mindset people, how do they instill a new operating system? I suppose in their company to go. This is the way we're doing things. Or have you any advice on that for a lot of our startups? I, I think that that conversation needs to almost start when when an organization's running its grad program or it's doing internships or it's or it's hiring uh, because i think i think the first thing to disavow a lot of graduates is um is that everything you think you know um everything you've had to learn to pass those exams and get your 2-1 or your first or whatever it might be or your 2-2 guess what you you're going to have to the learning hasn't stopped yet and you know what you're going to actually have to learn some very different things. It's going to be less about your ability to 
repeat knowledge in dissertations, essays, projects, whatever. It's going to be more. It's going to be more about how you work with other people, your communication skills, your your curiosity, your thirst for learning, your confidence to learn, your application, your determination. Um, so a lot of things that, quite frankly, university and primary, secondary school are not yet teaching. Um, so we just want you to know that. And we're going to help you to do that. But when you're going through this very different learning, it's going to be tough. Um, because in the same way that, you know, learning, picking up a new subject at school was was difficult at the start until you began to figure it out. This is this is going to be very different and it's going to be tough. Are you up for that? Because everybody in our company so far has had to do that. And the people that make it to manager and, and to supervisor and direct, they're the ones that are really good at learning this stuff. And and that's what that's I'd be saying that and reinforcing that at every every potential every possible opportunity what i do like about this generation is that they are you know they're a little bit more focused many of them in terms of what they want to do they're very they're more socially aware and they have probably a a desire to to do good and to help they're they're a little bit more discerning when it comes to the type of company what they want to join and therefore i think it's really important that companies really flag that that they flag their culture that that becomes loud and discernible in, in all of their messaging um, so that they attract the, pe- the type of people they want to attract. So if, if they're a learning growth mindset company, they need, to, they need to be singing that from the rooftops. Taking that down a level to the family, so that the household. Well, it, it actually can be quite, once, once you get a handle on it, it's actually quite, quite simple because it's really, it's steering away from judgments uh, linking that are around success or failure or smart or intelligent. Finite judgments um, in your praise or your feedback or your conversations with your with your children, and it's more around you. Put, you really tried hard there. I'm proud of the amount of effort. I'm proud you were so determined. What did you learn? Uh, it's it's encouraging conversations around the dinner table around, you know, what did we learn? What did you learn? So tell me a little bit about what you learned in school today. Um, not unless interest in exam results, finite results, because an exam result just defines a young person's performance at a moment in time. It And it doesn't really say it doesn't really acknowledge that that person can learn and develop and that everybody learns and develops at maybe a different pace and that just because it's taken you a bit longer to learn this than somebody else doesn't mean you're not going to get there um and know just as much and be just as capable and able um so it, it's record it's it's changing the dynamic of that conversation away from judgment and celebrating and encouraging and nurturing learning valuing learning over finite success and once families get a a language around that and get begin to feel it for themselves it really is as simple as that they are so alike when you when you put them side by side those two questions that that a leader is very like a parent in the way he's nurturing his team much like a mother or father would would nurture their family 
Philip, Philip, for for those who would be interested, I'm sure there's lots. How how can they get in touch with you? Because you do consultancy and leadership and growth work with leaders and and CEOs. How can people find you? Uh, best way is always email. Um, the website is in production, but um, email at the moment is um, is philmatty uh, at gmail.com. That's p h i l m a t t i e at gmail.com. And um, I'd love to hear from anybody. I've also profiles up on LinkedIn as well if anybody wants to hook up with me there. Philip Matthews, consultant in leadership and high performance growth. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Edmund.